I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. Welcome to the library, Wanderer. Our rules are three. Respect your fellow patrons. Do not damage the library. Return your books on time. You'll need a card to check out, of course. See the front desk for that. It should be just under a week's journey from here. You'll have to give the archivist your true name, but don't worry. We'll keep it under the strictest levels of security. Oh, and stay away from locked doors. There are places here where even we will not protect you. We would like to extend a special thanks to our associate producers, Dr. Theron Sherman, Sogapple, Adrian, Ethan Childers, Uncertainty Crossing, Angie Oriana, Cameron Schaus, Lisa Person, and Salem. What you are hearing is the result of their generous support. Now please, sit back and enjoy The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey. Marde, 16th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. Nineteenth day in the trees. We found a stream today, and Torn and I both bathed while Suja battered at the water. It was a clear, swiftly flowing stream, but the water was not too cold. Torn tested the water with a stick before setting foot in it. I would find his caution amusing if it hadn't been for the flowers yesterday, but once he was certain it was safe, he stripped and was soon splashing around as full of his energy as ever. In high spirits, we began to splash each other. Our game was evenly matched. My tail allowed me to move more water, but he presented a much smaller target. While we dried, I asked him about the wrappings he wore around his wrists and ankles, even while he was bathing. They looked like bandages, but there was no blood apparent through them. It seemed strange to me, that a calamity would strike both wrists and both ankles simultaneously. His smile didn't change, but there was a hard edge to his eyes I hadn't seen before. He told me it was a nothing and that I shouldn't concern myself with it. He then made a show of dancing with a passing butterfly. I let the subject go. If it is painful for him to speak of, I will not press him. I saw another of those strange, graceful, horse-like creatures and once again, he sees an animal and does not describe it anything like well enough. It's enough to make a scholar put down his ink pot. Torn said that they were good to eat, but I don't know that I could bring myself to eat one, even if I could catch one. They are too beautiful. Of course, I say this with a full belly and plentiful game around. I cannot say what I would do if I were truly hungry. I suppose I will look at that book again before going to bed. 
I have just looked at the book and I cannot believe what I am seeing. It has changed since the last time I looked at it. Parts are visible that I could not make out before. I've made out references to a revolt in some country I've never heard of. It seems to be from one of the rebels' point of view. References are made to irreconcilable grievances, unbearable hardships, and tyrannical leadership. From what I can glean, the rebellion was unsuccessful, and the losers were ultimately banished to another, harsher land, where they made a more egalitarian home. I can even make out a signature in this section. I wonder who this... The manuscript is illegible at this spot. Was. And where the country of Paradise is. Was their rebellion worth its loss? Rock Day, 16th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 21st day in the trees. Suja saved us today. We had been walking along the path when we saw something glinting in the bushes. We started to look more closely when Suja jumped out of my hood, where she had been sleeping. She stared at the bushes and let out a low growling. Torn and I both stopped, wondering what was the matter. Finally, Torn took a rock and tossed it into the bushes. There was a snap, and something thrashed around for several seconds. I got a glimpse of large eyes and a very large mouth before the bushes were still again. I've never heard of such a creature. Clearly an ambush predator of some sort. I wonder if the lure is a natural part of the creature's body, or if it was a tool user. It could have been nearly anything, I suppose. Torn had no idea what it was, only that it would be a bad idea to investigate more closely. We stayed more towards the middle of the path the rest of the day. This evening, we both praised Suja mightily, and she basked under the attention, putting her head against us so that we would scratch her lightly behind the ears. I am glad that she is doing so well. She is growing quickly, and will soon be too big to sleep in my hood while I walk. She caught another rat this evening. And again, he didn't describe what could very well be a very significant rat. I despair. And I believe soon she will be moving on to larger prey. However, Torn is somewhat less happy to see her hunting instincts developing so well. While he was petting her, he rolled onto her back and bit down through the wrapping on his wrist. He yelped and pulled his hand away quickly, suffering scratches where her claws had been hooked into his arm. He was only slightly annoyed, though. He knew she did not mean any harm. However, in the future, I suspect that he will be more careful when petting her. Beer Day 16th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 22nd day in the trees. It is quite warm again, and tonight we saw a most amazing thing. It had begun to rain this evening, and we were seeking shelter from the storm. We had gone a ways off the path when we saw an open field ahead of us, and standing just in front of us, at the edge of it, was a woman. She resembled Torn somewhat, except that she had odd growths on her chest, and her features were finer. She was built more lightly than he, and was shorter by half the height of his head. This seemed strange to me, that a female should be shorter than the male. Torn says that females of his species are like that, so who am I to say otherwise? Barrow females are, of course, much larger than the males. 
Torn walked up to her and asked her what she was looking for and whether she was lost. She glared at him and told him to be quiet. He began to say something, to no surprise of mine, and she struck him on his head. It wasn't a hard blow and any force would have been cushioned by his hat, but it still made him quiet. I wondered if it would work for me or if she had some special ability. Watch, she said, hissing the words. He's coming. Just watch. I wondered who was coming and whether it was worth waiting in this rain, when there was a flash and the thunder split the air. Then the dancer walked out of the trees on the other side of the field, and my heart was still. He was human in shape, like Torn, but more than three times my height. Black, bushy hair crowned his head, and more hair covered much of his face. There was something wild in his eyes. He walked with an easy grace that no creature that large should be capable of. The rain streamed down his body, wetting his hair, and making him seem even more wild. He looked around the field, though never quite at us, and then he began to dance. The storm came alive as he did. The rain began to beat a rhythm against the ground, and the wind started to sing. He stomped his feet, and lightning fell from the sky. He clapped his hands, and there was thunder. He spun, leapt, and moved as gracefully as a spider, as wild as a wyvern. The wind wrapped around him like a blanket, and the rain kept the measure. He danced to the storm, or the storm to him, I was not sure. And always his eyes would flash like the lightning, dark and powerful. Watching him, I felt frightened, joyful, angry, and sad all at once. I wanted to join him, to share his joy in the dance, in the terrible beauty of the storm. I was afraid of him, as I was of the storm, though I have never feared the weather since I was a very young Conlin. I hated him because he was graceful, as I never could be. I was sad, because I knew this would end. We watched in silence as his dance continued. The rain was falling on us, even as it fell on him, but I did not know anything but the dance. It was hours before he stopped. It was only a few minutes. I do not know which. It felt like both. Finally, he slowed his steps, and the storm let go of its fury. The wind died down, and he moved with his impossible grace into the trees. I could not bear to watch him go, so I looked down to the woman. Her eyes, I realized, were mirrors of the dancers, dark, wild, and a bit mad. I knew when he disappeared, because her face grew weary then. I will dance with him, she muttered, as though we were not there. Next time, I will dance with him. She looked back at us. She didn't say anything to us, and we didn't ask anything of her. I looked at her eyes again, and I realized that they held nothing of herself. There was only room for him in her eyes. We left her there, at the edge of the field, lost in her longing. I thought to help her for a moment, but I knew there was little I could do for her. She needed something no one could give, perhaps not even the dancer. I feel a sadness inside. I will never see that dancer again, I know. I don't know how 
but I know that I will not pass this way again. I am glad too, because I do not know whether I could watch a second time and still be entirely my own. Skull Day, 16th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 23rd day in the trees. The rain continued today, so we decided to stay in this cave for a little longer. I have time, if nothing else, and Torn says that he has no destination waiting. Having nothing else to do, and wanting some peace from Torn's chatter, I decided to explore the cave. We had only checked to make sure it wasn't occupied last night, and not gone too far in. I found paintings along the black wall. I have heard of such. Our people used to paint on the ancient stones in the eastern desert before we learned of writing. I once went there as a child and learned the old histories. But these were different. Where our ancestors drew pictures in lines tell a story, these pictures were all around the wall, with no order, no sense to them. A central image showed a figure walking. It appeared to be like a fox or a jackal, but stood on two legs. It carried something, though whether it was a spear, a walking stick or something else, I could not tell. It was walking towards a large circle, which was decorated with intricate designs. There were other pictures, with figures like the first. Some walked, some ran, some stood still. There were other objects in the pictures, mountains, trees and rivers. Some appeared to be pictures of made things, like houses and wheeled boxes that I suspect were carts. There was a picture that showed a strange structure made of ever smaller rectangles piled on one another. There were very small figures drawn on it, so I knew it was depicting something very large. In a dusty corner, I saw a picture that was different from the rest. For one thing, it was a picture of clockwork, hundreds of interlocking gears and springs. For another, where the other pictures were very stylized, almost crude. This was so detailed that I had to touch it to confirm that it was painted on and not actual clockwork set into the walls. Admittedly, I can see no purpose to having clockwork in a cave wall, but nor can I see any purpose to painting the image of clockwork. I suspect that this picture was left by a different artist than the rest. For one thing, it seems much less worn. I wonder what the artist left it for. Soon, I had enough of looking at the pictures. I told Torn they were there, and so had a few more minutes of quiet while he looked for himself. Then he returned, and we spoke of what they might be. Torn is of the opinion that the pictures of the figures told a story, though he could not make out what it was either. He is certain that there must be a pattern to it that we are both missing. He said, The pictures are a story, and who knows what they tell. A tale of long-lost glory, or of falling into hell. Perhaps, but we are unlikely to find the key by staring at them. Erev Day, 16th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 24th day in the trees. We had a very eventful day today. We woke up to find that the rain had stopped. We made breakfast, and I decided to have another look at the pictures in the back. I was looking at the gear picture again, and noticed that in the centre, much smaller than the gears surrounding it, was what looked like a picture of a button. 
I wondered if perhaps this was actually a picture of a device. I imagined seeing all of those gears turning, all activated by the press of a button. I tried to imagine what a machine with so many parts might do, other than stop working, as clockwork tends to do with distressing regularity, unless you take special pains to keep out sand. I touched the painting again, this time brushing my thumb claw against the button. The gears began to turn. Do not misunderstand me. The gears were not real. They were simply painted on the stone. But they still turned. I could see the grain of the stone beneath them, seeming to crawl underneath the paint. But the gears turned. I cried out and Torn came up quickly, as did Suja. We stared at the turning gears and I wondered what was to happen next. The cave became lighter so that my little lamp became of no consequence. There was no source for the light, but it seemed as bright as though the sun was shining through the ceiling. Nearby, the pictures began to move. In the central image, the figure walked the circle, which likewise seemed to move to the figure. It floated in the air and then landed in front of it. I entered it and then it flew off again. Another scene came to replace that one and it showed the figure leaving the giant circle. It walked again until it was standing on a hill above many other figures. It seemed to be speaking. It gestured to the sky. Soon, we saw the figures building, making buildings, farming. The things they made changed over time. Two-wheeled carts became four-wheeled. Buildings became taller, stronger. They made what Torn called pyramids. They soon had large animals that used to plough the field. Then we saw them learning magic. We saw figures turn from one creature to another. Objects floated and then cities flew. A map appeared and we saw a blue spread over it like a stain. It seemed that this was where their empire had been, though I could not name the area the map was of. They made palaces in their floating cities and lived like rich men. Then the circle returned. It landed on one of the flying cities and again a figure went inside. This time it emerged with a book. The circle flew away and the figure brought the book to others and they opened it. They did something with the book, figures standing all around it. I could not tell what they were doing. The next scene showed the great cities falling. Only a few survived. They were tied to half circles that helped them move downward slowly. This is very exciting. It appears to be a record of the Terial Fall when the floating cities of Magi lost their magic and crashed to the ground. However, no record I've ever come across has ever mentioned anything like the floating circles Aphromos describes. From here, there was only one figure shown. It walked, and the sun and the moon sped overhead, passing hundreds of times in moments. It kept going until it was in a forest, and then it found a cave. It went inside and began to paint. The story ended there. We stared at the pictures for a time, and then we left, Torn and I both wondering what the story meant and how the painter had created such a strange mural. We crossed another river mid-morning on another one of those mysterious bridges. This was made of stone 
and could easily support my weight. There was something reassuring about crossing the bridge, as though it were some protection against mysterious pictures and beguiling dancers. It was irrational, but I felt almost safe for having crossed the river. Late in the afternoon, we saw another strange thing, though I think Torn was more affected than me. We were sitting on a convenient log when we heard something moving through the bushes toward us. We both stood and Torn pulled out his knife. We were ready for anything, I had supposed. We were not ready for a giant hand to walk cautiously out of the bushes. It was as tall as Torn, with a long tail of green hair steaming from its wrist. It appeared to be exactly like one of Torn's hands, save that it was a slightly darker colour and had no fingernails, nor an arm attached to it, for that matter. There was a tiny red eye in the fleshy area between thumb and forefinger. I realised that it was not truly a hand, but rather an animal that looked like one. Mims digited cephalopod. Manus Mimsy. These curious creatures, distantly related to squid, cuttlefish and cathalia, have five finger-like tentacles. They eat nuts and are mostly harmless, except during the breeding season. It moved toward the path, then turned and stared at us. It then continued across the trail and disappeared into the bushes on the other side. Is the entire world outside the barrow like this? Crow Day, 16th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 26th day in the trees. Today, we found a body. I needed to relieve myself, and so I'd taken myself off the path for a moment. While I was doing so, I saw something trailing from behind a nearby tree. It was an arm. I finished what I was doing and called to Torn. We rounded the tree, and we saw the arm's owner had died. He had not been dead for too long, perhaps less than a day. The scavengers hadn't yet touched the body. He had been taller than Torn, but shorter than me and covered with thick, brown, ropey hair. The face was like that of a horse, and he had been a slave. The chains were still attached to his wrists and ankles. His clothing was more ragged than my own. He was dirty, filthy, and probably had been starving. He had nothing but a rusted knife. There were no wounds on his body. Torn is fairly sure he died from starvation or exposure. He was very thin, yet on the tree he was leaning against, he had taken the time to carve a single word. Free. Sadly, a few slaves managed to escape from the trading company. Get those chains off his wrists, for pity's sake, Torn said. I looked at his face, and he looked more serious than I had seen him before. There was no joke on his lips, nor laughter in his eyes. His voice sounded strained, as though he had trouble getting his words out. I did as he asked, using the tools my first father gave me. Torn threw the chains as far away as he could, as though they were cursed. Then we buried the poor soul at the base of the tree, letting it serve as his headstone. We do not keep slaves, the barrow, 
nor do any of our neighbours. But we know about slavery. The caravans come through, and sometimes they bring slaves from one part of the world to another. Sometimes we will buy one or two and let them free to return home. But they are so many, and it seems impossible that they should all be free one day. But we hope. I am sad for the one we buried, but he was free for a time. Let that be his epitaph. Free. Whoever you were, stranger, water on your journey, and stars to guide your steps. Thank you for listening. The Journal of Aphromost Long Journey is written by Dr. Everett Mann. You can browse Dr. Mann's articles and the other works of the library at wanderers-library.wiki.com. This production is possible in large part because of our sponsors. John Beatty, Yesenia, Crowcat, Rounder House, Lan2D, and John Winfield. Check the description to find out how to support this channel and future projects like this. This production and content relating to the Wanderers Library is licensed under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0 and all concepts originate from the Wanderers Library wiki and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.